the big thing with 4G to 5G and now on to 6G is they do a 10-year future-proofing, right? So 5G is really, they, they, it takes them about 10 years to develop every new generation of communication protocol. And they design it for, uh, you know, a future that they expect to see in the next, at the end of that 10 years, right? So with 5G, you're really preparing yourself for a longer term. Welcome back to For the Future, your weekly podcast about all things Industry 4.0. I am Mark. And I'm Michael. And this week, we are going to do a deep dive into 5G. Yes, and a deep dive it is. It's a very complicated, deep technology, but we'll do our best to summarize and maybe go a step deeper than a lot of the YouTubers and the the quick uh, articles you've read on the internet, but we're going to keep it from getting two in the weeds because honestly uh it gets way into the weeds so yeah. uh but first <laughs> first let's uh do some news so for the article i brought this week uh, i was just watching youtube this morning while i was making some breakfast and i saw a, i saw a youtube video pop up for i think it was through the wall street journal did the report but uh basically towns like small towns and like you know the middle of the country yeah, under like 10,000 25,000 people that mm-hmm. kind of you know small rural towns, not too far outside a big city, um, they are actually paying and interviewing people like tech workers from California and like specifically Silicon Valley to come work remotely from their town, which I thought was pretty interesting. So they actually like set out like an application site and people put in video interviews to move to be incentivized. So some of these people were paid $10,000 and given a tax credit to move to these small towns, I think specifically the video was talking about Arkansas, hmm. like Northern Arkansas. And I thought that was really, really interesting. But the whole idea was that, look, uh, a lot of these tech companies are saying we're going to allow remote work indefinitely. Um, so you can kind of work from wherever. And I, I think a lot of people are going to Texas, Nevada. Um, yeah. you know, Seattle's a big one. I, see, I saw Illinois was I'm like, who wants to move to Illinois? But anyway, um, <laughs> So interesting story there, but they have like they have like twenty five thousand applications, like applicants to this program for this town in um, this town in Arkansas, and they only had twenty five spots, and they just got like Jeez. the most eclectic, really cool people to come move to these towns, and the whole idea was that they would pay ten thousand dollars for these individuals to be incentivized to move. They got to stay there for a year or two, or you know that kind of a thing. Um, but they figured that for $10,000 incentives, they're going to gain $50,000 in economic activity over it. And oh, they were talking yeah. about how these people were living in, you know, a $800,000 house that was like less than a thousand square feet with their family. And they're like, we would really love to have a yard. And we've, you know, we both have great jobs in, in tech. Like, this is crazy. So they moved to these towns, bought, you know, these beautiful homes for $50,000. And yeah. um, we're talking about the benefits of that. So really interesting, interesting take there. And I thought it was one step further for people who are fleeing California, I'll say with air quotes around it, right? Um, but for towns to actually like work on incentivizing those individuals to leave. Um, very interesting. So yeah, I was like, what's what's the benefit? But then you're like, okay, the economic activity this bringing in more people who are making mm-hmm. good money to yeah buy products hopefully locally and like i mean even like a new car at the local dealership and like yeah i'm sure they will make that ten thousand back real quick yeah definitely well i think it's once you start a seed of a new um group of individuals right then it becomes more normal for more people to come right um once you've got your seed of 50 you know tech influencers who move Mm -hmm. to small town arkansas what's to say that another hundred won't come Right. Yeah. Um, I think their buddies like, hey, we're living the great life here. I have a huge yard and a huge house and like pay whatever. I don't know. Is Arkansas, do they have income tax? I have no idea. But that's what I think that's the push for lots of people, right? Like Texas, no income tax. Uh, Nevada, no income tax. Yep. Lots of land. Lots of land. Don't have to worry about. I mean, manufacturing loves it out there. It's just endless and endless, uh, you know, basically just taking 
farmland away from the cows and they can just eat somewhere else. So they'll be okay. Yeah. This article reminded me of, uh, I think SpaceX is trying to like almost buy a town in Texas. Have you heard that? No, so it's, it's called Boca Chica. I think it's like a retirement community, but that is where SpaceX is launching a whole bunch of stuff and they're trying hmm. to like, and I don't think it's going very well, but they're trying to like buy this town because they want its, its employees to live there mm-hmm. and the retirement community is not having it. And there's like noise complaints because like, you know, as a rocket launches, oh, your yeah. house is shaking. Like, <laughs> I, so I, I knew they were doing the starship is all out of Boca Chica. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the resident, I, I watched a video. They did like an interview with all these people and they're just like, they're pissed. you know, the nicest small town people and they just hate it. I mean, yeah. they, they hate these people. <laughs> I mean, I would too. I, mean, I didn't hear that they wanted forever. Like, yeah. Oh you know, you have your, your beautiful, like, you know, life in a smaller town it's quiet and all of a sudden you just have like rocket launches going off i don't know crazy uh my article this week is it's not really anything really specific but i was thinking about like automation and agriculture and how that like i feel like when you know gmos got popularized or like not popularized it just got in the news it's like we need to do this in order to like feed the world like you just you need more and more yield and everything and i thought about how automating harvesting for example like you can then harvest 24 hours a day if your tractor can drive itself so just that increase Mm. in throughput there and the the article i you know found isn't anything specific it's just like automation and being able to farm all the time it's like one of those areas where like you don't need to follow there's no like rules of the road like you're in your own field you are you're not going to like hopefully not harm anyone by having your tractor drive itself. And, you know, there's testing and stuff. It's like the Tesla versus this, like Tesla, you there's people and there's other people on the road involved and that could be scary. But I don't know. I was just thinking about how this is such a big area that I feel like people don't really talk about is like automation and farming. And mm-hmm. like, I'm wondering when that'll become even more mainstream because I feel like, you know, a lot of farmers now are family farms and they've been doing what they do for, so many years that i don't know are they going to adopt this kind of change or are they like you know we've been doing it for 50 years and we're good doing it that same way i don't know i mean it's probably i wonder if this and it's probably not but like you know when they went from horses to the first like old-timey tractors like that was a huge increase in productivity and yield Mm -hmm. and is this gonna be the next thing like you were able to do X amount of acres an hour with horses, you jumped up to tractors. Now imagine you have tractors that can then work, you know, two times as much or, you know, whatever, like you can just mm-hmm. work continuously. I think that's just an, an interesting thought. Yeah. Or like you have a, you know, horses, animals get sick or mm-hmm. aren't having it that day. I mean, you don't have to put up with that kind of stuff too. Um, I think that kind of goes to a point that we made it on an earlier podcast um, where I'm sure like in, even now with automation and stuff, I think because my um, I have some family members who who still work a, a seed farm and a dairy farm in Wisconsin here, and mm-hmm. uh, I know for them, like basically, and we just know on the news that basically a, a dairy farm or two closed in Wisconsin every day from like 2017 through now or something like that. Yeah, um, like a, a family farm. Um, so it's, it's definitely getting gobbled up by, by large corporate farming and stuff, but I know they were there. And the, the other thing is that, um, those like the combines and stuff that you use to take care of those fields are so, they're so ridiculously expensive that like your whole life revolves around upgrading and maintaining that equipment as, as a farmer. Um, but they were, they are slowly rolling out. It's, it's interesting because you would think that would be an old timey. Um, industry and stuff and it's actually not i mean like john deere and those 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 companies are really like case i mean they they are putting some really cool technology into those tractors and into those Mm -hmm. pieces of equipment i mean like um they have like gps like partially autonomous i mean you still had to sit in the tractor and be there just in case but yeah um i mean i think even like five years ago they my they were telling me that um the new tractors basically would plow the field all by themselves and you just yep. had to be there to turn around and um they have they have like drones like uh, people in planes and drones fly over the field and they like they basically will sell you like a map of oh, yeah. um like the water the watershed or like the nitrogen content like in the soil but like as a carpet plot over the field 
And so like you can download that map into like when you're fertilizing the field and like it'll actually jet and change the amount of fertilizer that it puts down based on like crop yield from certain areas of the field, if that makes sense. So how they used to do it is you just turn a knob and you just spray a certain rate of fertilizer all over the entire field. The areas where are that are super productive use up all the nitrogen and whatever you put down and the areas that aren't in low areas or whatever um, that's what washes out, right? That's your oh, runoff. Yeah. And so what they what they are doing is you can you pay a, a service and they come out and they they give this program. I don't know what kind of file format it is. You plug it into your fertilizing piece of equipment and it like jets the nozzles as you're driving and mm. changes the amount that you're putting down. And the idea is that like it saves 50% or whatever you're using way less fertilizer on an aggregate, but you're like optimizing exactly where you put it. And you reduce the runoff substantially, yeah. which is great. So it's, it's actually, it's cool that that's an industry that you wouldn't expect to be like adopting kind of modern technologies and stuff, but they actually are like, that's like John, like those, those companies are doing a really good job of integrating those newer, those, um, you know, what you'd call like internet of things kind of technologies and running with it, which is cool. Not so great that it's sucking up and uh, not working out for family farms. I mean, um, exactly. Always, small business is always great, but hopefully they they find a way for the little guy to still play. So, no cool stuff. And with that, I think we'll move on to our main topic of the day, five G. So I wanted us to start out briefly going over, like you know, where is five G? And I really think it's in you know two main spots that you would hear of, or maybe not. But the first one is you know your public networks, so your Verizon, your AT and T, your Sprint, and they have their you know, 5G and some of them have their millimeter wave, which we'll kind of get into. It's just the different types of 5G. And even when you're, if you have like the newest iPhone, you'll notice it'll say 5G or sometimes it'll say 5G UW, which is that millimeter wave. And it's the the faster type. So there's that one, the public, and then there's private. And so one example of this, you know, private 5G network is like Whirlpool, the company, they're rolling out 5G in some of their facilities using AT&T's network. So they're going to have AT&T set up their 5G in their facilities and their semis. And then after they get it set up, it'll then they'll take it offline and it'll be whirlpools to control and operate. So in that sense, it's like their their own 5G network that they can use for their data and tracking needs. Uh, And another example of this was in Germany, they're actually portioning off part of the 5G spectrum and it'll be used for industrial uh, applications only. So Volkswagen is going to use, you know, part of that spectrum to roll out 5G in their facilities, just like Whirlpool is. But I think it's really interesting that like, you know, the country as a whole is saying, hey, here's 5G. And this part of 5G is going to be for our industry. I thought that was pretty cool. So where is 5G? It's in your pocket and it's in corporations to use for their own tracking. So yeah, unless you have a, a unless you have AT and T and a phone that actually isn't five G compliant, and then you get five G E, which by the way is not five G. <laughs> that was a marketing play, and they're getting in trouble for that right now. So Good. yeah, very interesting about how how like a, a whirlpool or like a private company because I think a lot of people, and I don't know if it's just me, but all the companies I've worked for, the the internet's always trash. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always really bad and it would I think it would be such a change if I mean you went to you went into the office and the internet was great and the devices worked awesome um, I mean imagine the productivity boost there right where video conferencing is like in four, like, imagine like 4k 60 frame <laughs> like video like web conferencing how cool would that be yeah so I think that's that's a, a good take there the other great thing with with 5G is it isn't like radio where you have these large sprawling like because that's why they have to space out and be really specific where radio towers are like AM FM radios because it goes oh. so far. The range yep. is so huge um, that if you had a bunch of individuals trying to use the same spectrum and transmit over each other, you get a ton of noise and um, back talk and stuff and it would just cause problems. Whereas with 5G the the frequency doesn't go that far um, because of how high energy it is so or how high frequency it is i should say so you really don't have to deal with that so every i mean even in an industrial park you could basically each plant could have their own 5g network that worked Mm -hmm. on their own site and even though it was on 
a couple hundred meters over to the nearest to the next company, um, their networks could be on the same frequencies, but wouldn't interfere. It's yeah. just not a, not an issue there. So that would be that would be a different world to work in. And that's I mean how you're going to have your you know connected uh, factories of the future that are going to have a way better data transmission back and forth. Right? Is that kind of a network set up inside? And then so rolling into the where, um, kind of the what question as far as performance goes. So what kind of, I mean, at the end of the day, what kind of speeds can you get out of, out of a 5G network? Well, in the best case, you're on your, on your high band, your millimeter wave, you're going to get up to two gigabits per second, which is crazy fast. I mean, that's really, really awesome. Um, and with a one millisecond latency. So for all you gamers out there, um, you know what that means, but also I want to like, I want to clarify. So like, Two gigabits per second. That's two thousand megabits per second. And in your home internet, a lot of people maybe get a hundred to right? two hundred. Like as a real, it's a really good internet speed. Hundred to two hundred yeah. is totally fine for your small house. So two thousand like on 10, like ten, yeah, like, like ten times <laughs> as fast. Yeah, it's 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 faster. It's it's stupid fast. It's faster than you need right now. Yeah. Uh, but in a lot of ways, when they're developing the next generation of um, communication technology and, and these data transmission technologies, they're planning for a future that we don't live in right now. Right. Mm-hmm. 5G is planned to sort of be for 2025, just like when 6G comes out there, it'll start rolling out in 2030. And it's really planned for what are we going to what's it? What does society need? in 2035. Um, So we'll probably figure out what to do with all that data eventually. But for right now, we're just going to be downloading movies and stuff really, if anyone does it anymore, just downloading files back and forth, like really, really fast or updating Fortnite way faster, which would be (laughs) great. Um, (laughs) And so I just want to go through a couple of the technologies that that feed into 5G and make it really, really work. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the first ones is, is MIMO versus CISO. And uh, you might have seen this ac- these acronyms around a little bit, but essentially MIMO is referring to multiple in, multiple out uh, versus CISO being single in, single out. And those acronyms just, they, they sound kind of cool, but what they essentially mean is that in how it used to work with older radio technologies, especially think of like older Wi-Fi, um, is the... Your, your router on your network has to look for and look for a device, talk to it and check in with it and say, hey, do you need anything? And I go, yeah, actually, I'm looking at a YouTube video. Can you get me this information? Wi-Fi router says, great, let me grab that, send it to you. Awesome. That's going to move on to the next device. And so it goes along all your devices, one after another, back and forth, back and forth. And that's how it functions. Whereas Mimo is able to essentially talk to all the devices all at once and transmit information on the same frequencies in some cases and be able to serialize and get the information um, that each that each device is requesting, even sometimes on the same frequency, all at once, back and forth, um, which that, that dramatically improves throughput and reduces latency, right? Because latency... Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like with an older Wi-Fi router, you could you could test this. You could basically go buy a bunch of Amazon Alexas or whatever, some little Wi-Fi connected device, and you could put 50 or 100. There's some maximum number of devices that you can put onto a network like that. But um, essentially, you could you could see your latency going up. Every every new device you click onto your network, it's going to add five milliseconds or something like that because your your old Wi-Fi router has to scan through a longer list of devices, has to reach out. Hey, do you need anything? Nope. Okay, next device. Right. So yeah. you add more devices, going to take longer that way. So that's one of the really really powerful tools there, um, and that feeds into Wi-Fi six, which we'll talk about uh, along with five G, which Mark really dove into while we were looking at five G. Is uh, how is Wi how is Wi Fi six different? Is it the same? Um, interesting, interesting stuff there too. Um, and then beamforming is another another piece of five G technology. So essentially, and how my best interpretation of this, um, I got into some fairly complicated uh, <laughs> technical articles on this, and I am by no means uh, an, a, you know a, a systems engineer for. Um, for antennas and data forming and stuff like that. So, you know, give me, cut me a little slack, but essentially with a, with a pad of arrays of um, antennas, which to be, to just paint a picture for you quick, a 4G or a 5G 
um, antenna doesn't look like a giant dish, like with a like the ball in the middle. It's those. It's not that kind of an antenna. Really, they look like a flat plate. And like Mark and I were talking about before we started this article, is like, how do you can you tell the difference between a four G and a five G tower? Yeah. Um, and, and you can spot them. I mean, they're they're literally hanging up in the air. So a four G type tower is going to typically be triangular shaped and have like three flat plates that run vertically um, on all three sides of that triangle. And then 5G will also use that same um, style of antenna for the for the lower band, right? For that longer range, um, you know, more enveloping connection type. And mm-hmm. then you'll see little cylinders that'll be, those are the kinds when people talk about, we're going to have to have an antenna on, you know, every street corner of America. It's like, those are the, the millimeter wave, the high energy then that's where you're going to get your two gigabit, right? Yeah. Um, your two gigabit comes from those millimeter waves, whereas you're going to just get really good, you know, four G type speeds with um, that lower band uh, on the five G network. But five G is really that combination of the two, right? Where both of those are going to be able to work together and switch seamlessly. But how how beam forming works and what makes all all of this work, um, and one of the big problems they're running into with four G is one, you're getting a lot of people on the network. That everyone's requesting and you have multiple people connecting to one tower. It's got to go through and, and talk to all these people, but you've got multiple towers that are feeding into an area and you're getting lots of interference. You're getting lots of similar frequencies that are all overlapping with each other. And depending on what is it like you get like, they all say like half of a waveform or like half of a, the distance of a, like the length of a wave basically. Oh, and okay. so you try you have to, you, because remember back to physics, if you get two waves at, cross exactly opposite of each other they'll cancel out right yep. and that's kind of what interference is and so uh, and i posted a little little picture in our in our note sheet here but essentially what they can do is just like a analog or like a physical antenna that can direct and form a beam like directly at a target by using some really complicated math essentially this array of of antennas which literally would look like you know, an eight by eight array of antennas. So you've got 64 individual antennas that are just in a flat plate and just facing out towards the world, basically. Through using algorithms and digital signal processing, that flat plate array of antennas can act like a physical dish that's pointing and swinging at targets. And not only can it focus the beam directed at the user that is requesting the data that you're that is connected to that array and talking with it, it can also it can also turn down the gain um, when it's directed towards users that are connected to the network but aren't aren't requesting data or are on a different frequency. So mm. what you get is it's actually maximizing the gain and improving the signal going to the person that's actively using the towers. It's also creating a shadow. Around the user, around people who are not using the towers at that moment. So, by doing that, all these all these individual towers can basically shine a light directly at the person connected and using the network and cast a shadow on the individuals who aren't who aren't using it. So, by doing that, you're going to really improve the performance for the one person who is um, using the tower, but also dramatically reduce the interference that individuals. Um, who aren't using the tower are going to see. And that's that's a great way how you're going to see the benefits of uh, working with multiple towers, right? Imagine um, shining lights at, at each other. And that's actually a good analogy because millimeter wave is basically line of sight. Yeah, um, that's like about how it. that's about how far it goes. So actually shining using flashlights shining at each other and then putting shadows around each other um, is a really good analogy for how far it goes and kind of how that technology works. Yeah, I think a good way to also like think about this is so like going to Wi-Fi briefly, just going to Wi-Fi 6 and 5G. Wi-Fi 6, you have like, let's say you have four devices around a Wi-Fi router. That Wi-Fi router, you know, pushes out like a ripple effect of signal to all those devices. It's just a wide, you know, wide view of it It just pushes it all out versus 5G for those same four devices would have a singular line to it. There would be no Mm -hmm. like ripple effect of signal being pushed out. It would be a specific line of data being pushed directly to a device so it's like a mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of what's the best way like it's like a ripple wave versus a direct like rope line to the device gets into some complicated how to think about like light particle physics and mm-hmm. things like that but yeah you're right i mean essentially what you're doing is you're emanating it's like a light bulb 
but it, in three dimensions, it's a it's a rippling wave that's radiating away from that light bulb, and that is light, or that is microwaves, or whatever whatever frequency you want it to be at. Right, um, that's essentially what it is. And so, Mark, do you want to go into Wi-Fi six at all? Yeah. So I think one of the when I first was thinking of five G, I had always thought so five G is faster speeds and lower latency, and in my head that sounded exactly how. Wi-Fi 6 was being like promoted. It's faster speeds and less latency and like it, it can carry more devices without being bogged down. So I just kind of wanted to go through you know, like why would a company go 5G versus Wi-Fi 6? And kind of to start out, I think a big difference is almost in the use case. So for indoor use, like if you're in an office or like even in your home, like Wi-Fi is a you know pretty standard tool that we use already so the upgrade from you know your wi-fi five or four to a six is couldn't be as simple as getting a new router and so for a lot of companies it's cheaper to roll out they have the wi-fi infrastructure set up they have all their terminals everywhere and they can just go through and upgrade all of those to this new system with 5g it's a whole new thing right you're not going to use those wi-fi routers you're going to have to have an AT&T or some sort of consultant company come in and say, you're going to need this many 5G terminals and are you going to go millimeter wave or the normal 5G? So, you know, that's kind of the indoor use for outdoor. Like if you think of like you're tracking semis on your network, you can't have a Wi-Fi system for that. You need a national network. And so for that, you're going to need 5G. And I think like, so for me, like, yes, you can track semis right now with 4G LTE. But I think what the biggest boost is, is in that latency, it's it that tracking becomes even more live, right? So if you're you're getting data as soon as it's happening because of that less than or you know one millisecond latency. So kind of like the general use case we went through, the cost, just cheaper really for Wi-Fi 6 to be rolled out. And then what comes next is kind of like the different spectrums. You're with Wi-Fi 6, you get an unlicensed spectrum. And so you get your 2.4 and your five, like that's like what everyone has. And that's why everyone in America and whatever, wherever you live usually can have your own Wi-Fi network. You can name it, whatever you want, give it its own password. It is your Wi-Fi network. Yes, you pay your ISP, but it is, it is your network with 5G. It supports all spectrum types and wavelengths. So you have your millimeter wave and your normal section of, do you remember what the, Michael, what's the spectrum you know, limit? The lower band, lower band for 5G is somewhere between like one gigahertz, like 700 megahertz, all the way up to uh, maybe five to six gigahertz. And then that higher band, which would be your millimeter wave, that's usually starting, you know, roughly at that six gigahertz mark and really going up to all the way to 100 gigahertz. Um, now, like Verizon and AT&T and those guys, they're really using more in that 28 to 39 gigahertz range. Um, that's traditionally what's really seen as that millimeter wave technology that's being rolled out. But I did see like on the FCC website, um, they are opening up almost to 100 gigahertz for communication protocols. So that, that I can imagine though would be very, very short. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're struggling with a 20 or 30 gigahertz signal, uh, 100 gigahertz is going to be three times as bad, right? So yeah, going to 5G, you have your licensed and your unlicensed bands. So that's, you know, Verizon has its own. They they pay for it. I didn't actually realize it's like the FCC, they control all these bands and you like buy them. So companies will buy mm-hmm. like, this is mine. <laughs> Verizon has theirs and everyone has yeah, theirs. They, they do an auction. Yep. Yeah, it's an auction. Yep. I, didn't, I did not it's know that. It's literally an auction. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's a good point too, like drawing attention to licensed versus unlicensed. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's more and more of a problem the lower frequency you go because of the range it can it can have. Um, but that's the reason why, like, if you live in a dense apartment, um, that's why you can get you can have a really fast router, but still get pretty poor Wi-Fi. With an unlicensed network, right? There's no there's no review on where it's located, how powerful it is, uh, its proximity to other networks, right? So you're allowed to set up that router wherever you want, but there's no controls on what other interferences there there may be in the region, right, in the area. Um, so that's where you can have your neighbors can also have their 2.4 and 5 gigahertz network, and that may interfere interfere with yours. 
Um, now, pro tip, you can actually go on and use an app to scan what uh, frequency bands are being used on your 2.4 and 5 gigahertz networks in your area if you live in an apartment setting. And you can actually set your, instead of letting your um, router do frequency hopping, which it'll jump around and try its best, um, you can do an analysis where it, you can show that, well, no one is using channel one or channel 16, and you can lock your router into that one. Mm-hmm. And that can actually dramatically improve your performance. And actually, if you have a Mac, you can, it has a built in Wi Fi scanner, and it will tell you what is the best channel to use for your 2.4 and your 5 gigahertz. It's just really, like, it's, it's kind of really goofy nice. to get to, but uh, um, you can just Google that, but it'll tell you what's the best channel. And we did that. I've done that in every apartment now after, you know, we figured that out and we lived together. <laughs> Cause yeah, I remember that we were getting just like such crappy Wi-Fi in our really condensed apartment and we got a brand new router and it was still really poor after we scanned it. We're like, okay, let's try this one. Switch that in your router settings. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it's just like night and day difference. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a big improvement. And the other the other effect I was going to bring up, too, is that now Wi-Fi 6, like you were saying, um, how you thought before is it was going to be way faster. And I think it I think it theoretically is a little faster than Wi-Fi 6 or Wi-Fi 5. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Wi-Fi 5 was like 7.6 gigabits per second, like theoretical. So you might oh. actually get 50 or 60 uh, like megabits per second. Um, and I think Wi-Fi 6 is up to 9.6 gigabits per second, theoretical. Okay. Yeah. And so maybe you'll get closer to 100 um, in actual use case, right? I mean, it's always, the theoretical is always much, much better than what you actually get. Now, whereas 5G with millimeter wave, we were talking about, I mean, there are YouTube videos where guys are literally on their phone outside getting two gigabits per second. So when we, when we were talking about two gigabits per second, we weren't talking theoretical speeds. We were talking actual real world world use case which is really really exciting right now i think the theoretical for millimeter wave is something like 20 gigabits per second so you know (laughs) it's like a 10 to 1 but yeah yeah, i mean it's it's usually like a 10 to 5x reduction um something like that too so wi-fi 6 would be if you were let's just say you are a company and you're deciding to roll out one or the other um if you don't need the speed if you don't need the latency and you're not worried about it being unlicensed, um, then maybe Wi-Fi 6 would work just fine yeah. for you. You're still going to get the support. And uh, the big the big piece to recognize with Wi-Fi 6 is it, it does a good job handling many, many devices, right? I think that was one of the big concerns with Wi-Fi 4 and 5 is that they really struggled once you started getting lots and lots of phones and laptops. And, and then uh, once you start getting into smart devices, I mean, you're adding a lot of network traffic and those and those Wi-Fi protocols really weren't built to handle that. So kind of borrowing from 5G type technologies, you're going to get that MIMO capability where that Wi-Fi router is going to be able to talk and work with all these different devices all at once. Um, and I, I, I thought I remember it too, that there's a protocol where essentially if a device, and especially this is common in like low power or like... Um, like internet of things type devices that just only need to send data like once an hour or once a minute. Basically, they don't have to maintain like an active contact, like every 30 milliseconds they're refreshing and pinging back to the router. Oh, yeah. They can basically just say, hey, I'm, I don't need to, I don't have anything to say. And then the router will just like skip it. But like once it comes back online and says, hey, I've got data for you, then the router will pick it up and take it and it'll go from there. Mm-hmm. So that, and that saves a ton of power, right? For like really low power passive devices and stuff. Um, that that's a that's a really good a great feature of Wi-Fi six there as well. Security is supposed to be a big a big feature there too. I know for IT departments everywhere, everyone is scared of these really low cost connected devices on their networks as a possible gateway. Um, and Wi-Fi six is supposed to be a dramatic improvement in security protocols as well. Okay, yeah. So I think like in summary, Wi-Fi six versus five G. If your company has a really solid Wi-Fi network set up, but you're just looking to get faster speed and be able to handle more, if you let's say you're going to add some smart manufacturing tools and sensors and stuff, and you just need more, you know, power to connect all those devices and stuff, like just swap out your existing equipment and put in your Wi-Fi six stuff, and I think you'll see a dramatic increase. It's just like it's cheaper, it'll be faster to do. But if let's say I to me, it's like if your Wi-Fi is 10 your wi-fi system is like 10 years old and you know you're tracking a lot of you know semis and you're nationwide and stuff like 5g might be the 
the go for you, like to kind of like redo all of your networking and just say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to jump into this and just be one of the companies to set up 5G and go. I don't know. It seems to me, it's like either you're in an office or you're in a production facility and you are worried about what's going on inside that production facility versus you need to be connected at all times across the country and not necessarily in a physical building. Yeah. And I think, I think 5g is going to help out with like, um, settings where you have like a campus where like you can migrate between buildings and you want to just have that seamless connection, you know, going driving or biking or walking between facilities. Um, I think if you need significant improvements in, uh, in throughput, if you really need that higher throughput, um, for whatever you're doing, right. Again, video or a lot more data going back and forth. Um, I think the other thing too is it's going to be a lot, 5G is going to be a lot more future proof, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Wi-Fi protocols come through every couple of years. Um, the big thing with 4G to 5G and now on to 6G is they do a 10-year future proofing, right? So 5G is really, they, they it takes them about 10 years to develop every new generation of communication protocol and they design it for, uh, you know, a future that um, they expect to see in the next, t- at the end of that 10 years, Right. So with 5G, you're really preparing yourself for a longer term and being more future-proof, which may be desirable. I, I would think uh, you're investing in your future for sure with that kind of technology. Um, whereas Wi-Fi 6 might be a little bit more of a bang for your buck, quick and easy to set up, but you ultimately want might want the some of the features that 5G brings. Um, yeah. So, and last topic we wanted to try to tackle was uh, are 5G waves harmful? And I think I pretty confidently stated that no there's nothing to worry about 5g waves on one of our i think on the first podcast and then i started i started googling around and for a brief moment i had a flicker of uh i might have to take that back there's a lot of articles that say that it is it may be dangerous um but after a little more uh, a little more in-depth look into into some of these articles and what um what what papers they were citing and you know how exactly they were uh, drawing their conclusions. I think I think you're safe to say you can't definitively say there. I mean, here's the punchline: there's no way to definitively say that there is no cause to biological harm from any and all types of uh, electromagnetic radiation. Essentially, it's too much to test. We don't know in all cases at what power levels, at what exposure limits, at what frequencies. Um, but I think you can say that with everything, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of like the whole. The California, this product may ha- contain cancer-causing elements. It's like, well, we haven't paid millions of dollars to ensure that it won't, that all these particles won't cause cancer, right? So it's kind of a blanket statement to just say, and I think that's um, a little bit using your critical reasoning and critical thinking skills there, right, is that just because we don't know that something is 100% safe does not necessarily mean that it is dangerous, I think is a good point, right? So, I mean, to explain what's going on here, so we've thrown around gigahertz and megahertz and gigawatts and gigawatts and stuff, right? What does all that mean? <laughs> gigawatts, I like that. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and even, I mean, it's been a while since I've been flipping um, scientific notation back and forth and prefixes in my head, so I had to, I had to look it up a couple times. Mm. But so essentially and think back to your science class right the electromagnetic spectrum is a a range all the way from one hertz to um you know one to the 20 or one to the 20 hertz which means cycles per second right so there's there's two ways to look at that you can either talk about like we'd say we were saying millimeter wave and so essentially that's the length between uh, between a waveform between trough to trough right so, and, and how, do, how do you get that, right? How do you go from length of wave to frequency? Well, electromagnetic radiation travels at the speed of light through air. So we know the speed, we know how fast it's going. So therefore, in one second, we know how many wavelengths will cross a single point. So therefore, you can divide that by, you can divide those two numbers and you can get the length or you can convert it back and forth. So essentially when someone's talking about millimeter wave, they're talking about a waveform that's somewhere between probably like 25 gigahertz to all the way up to 100 gigahertz. Um, and that means there are, let me see if I get this right. So <laughs> gigahertz is to the ninth power. Um, so a, thir- a 25 gigahertz signal would be 25 with eight zeros after it. 
So it's a really big number. It's yeah. it, basically your the amount of information though, right? When you're tying um, information to a waveform, you can because there's more um, most more pulse rates per second, you can transmit more data on it, right? So if like if you were getting a one hertz signal, you could get one bit per second, right? You could either be high or low once a second if you want to think about it like that, right? Versus if you're doing ten hertz you are getting 10 pulses of data per second you're getting 10 times as much information per second is that one hertz so now you multiply that by 10 to the 10 to the 9 or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and you're getting a lot more data you're getting your 4k video in minutes now right so essentially that's that's how you think about like energy and frequency Um, they are tied together and so to compare 5g to 4g um, now when, when people talk about, this is where a lot of people will say, ah, oh, the number for 5g is a lot bigger than 4g. So 4g is 0.7 gigahertz all the way up to like 2.5 gigahertz. And remember Wi-Fi, we were saying 2.5 gigahertz and five gigahertz. Mm-hmm. And so the P the, the bandwidth, the millimeter wave that we've been talking about, that really adds on a, a wave frequency that's about 10 times faster higher frequency than than 4G and then Wi-Fi and things like that. Um, and so that might sound scary at first because it, it does, there is more energy technically in um, a higher a higher frequency wave. Um, and as you go up the scale, you're going to see, you know, uh, microwaves, radio waves, infrared, um, all those types of things. And then you're going to have visible light. So when you're looking around, your eyes are processing and reading um, visible light rays, which are significantly, significantly higher frequency than any of the waves we've just been talking about. Um, then you start getting into what's called ionizing radiation. And ionizing radiation is what is scientifically proven 100% of the time to cause damage to DNA structures. So therefore cancer okay, or yeah. sunburns or rash or whatever. So the beginning of that is UV radiation, hence why when you're outside, um, especially all of us uh, Minnesotans and Wisconsinites <laughs> who have been inside all winter, um, you get out, you go outside and you could end up getting sunburned, right? The sun, the amount of exposure, the energy from the sun is going up and up and up. You've been inside, your skin's um, not used to that. So you get sunburned by the UV radiation that makes it through um, the ozone, right? through the ionosphere on earth. So, and that, and that energy is a hundred thousand to 10 million times the frequency and therefore energy of 5g waves. So I, I I think, I think the 10 times larger number between 4g and like uh, Wi-Fi radios and, and signals and stuff like that, going from that up to 5g may sound scary, but understand that relatively you're talking about, a hundred thousand to a 10 million times increase in energy before a scientist would say, yes, that, that waveform is dangerous. You probably should not be exposed to it long-term, right? Same yeah. thing. If you have lizards or whatever, and you have a UV lamp for them, it's best not to, you know, sit underneath that all the time. I mean, same thing. If you went and get, um, if you go to suntan booths, that's a UV lamp that you're basically cooking your skin. Um, not great for you, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> but that's, I think that's that's a, a good point to draw there too. Now, if you go on the FCC website and stuff, right, or if you ever drive up to a radio tower, um, they'll have it all gated off, mostly because they probably don't want people climbing on it because people are yeah. dumb. But there can be dangers with being exposed to really high energy um, electromagnetic radiation because here's the other side of it is there's two pieces to energy. There's the frequency and then there's the amplitude, right? So... And amplitude is essentially like the power going out of a radio transmitter. And so it's not necessarily great for you to be like right next to a giant like FM radio station. That thing is just transmitting an enormous amount of energy is going in to make those those rippling waves that are going out really, really powerful. So they transmit a long ways, right? Yeah. And now obviously having a a, a lower frequency radio wave is going to, it's not going to run in and dissipate quite as, as fast through the environment. So it has it has that going for it. And it's got a really high energy giant radio station to push those waves as far as I can go. So that's why a lot of radio stations, you can, you know, you're within 50 miles of your hometown, you can connect to your favorite 
um, hometown uh, FM radio station. If you still listen to radio, which <laughs> probably we're all on Spotify and YouTube music for the few of us that use that too. <laughs> so long and the short of it is um, you don't have a lot to scientifically with proven facts. You don't have to, you don't have a whole lot to worry about cancer, the, the cancer causing aspects of 5g right it's a it's a non-ionizing radiation um it's not high enough energy the the uh even a millimeter wave is not small it's not a tight enough uh waveform to actually affect like cells and dna structure so therefore it's not going to break up it's not going to break up dna it's not going to damage molecules in your body it won't cause cancer now here's the other side of it if you go and look scientists will not say with 100% certainty that it doesn't cause, I saw some crazy, some crazy, um, like made up, I, I shouldn't say made up, but <laughs> made essentially up. like <laughs> syndromes for like, like 5g or like electromagnetic radiation, like stress syndrome and stuff like that. Hmm. Um, there's some pretty wild things out there where people are basically postulating that if you, if, if electromagnetic radiation were to cause problems, this is what we would call it. So it's like they've preemptively created oh. a syndrome for if we do find it to cause problems. So it, it was just kind of goofy in that way. Um, and there's lots of, I'll call them dubious scientific papers that make kind of bogus claims that, you know, they're trying to draw conclusions between this population lived near this tower and they had a higher rate of uh, heart tumors or, you know, there's all kinds of studies like that. Right. Okay. Uh, and what I'm going to challenge you as the, as a listener and as a good critical thinking scientific pursuer is to, if you're going to, if you're going to read that stuff on Facebook or wherever, um, just be really careful with, the quality of a scientific paper with the um, the incentive structure that's going behind the article you're reading. And yeah, just understand that, Hey, not every scientist, not every scientist is uh, doing a, a great experiment. You know, there's a lot of them that don't have good double blinds. They're not taking into account um, confounding variables and things like that. Right. Just like you learn in science class. Unfortunately, all these news sites, um, their incentive is not to provide good quality truth and fact as far as how you can draw information from them unfortunately these sites are driven by getting clicks and they want they are going they are incentivized to write and create something that is going to get you to share that content with your friends so they get more clicks therefore more advertising revenue right so be careful with that um and then finally unfortunately science is not a black and white type field, right? There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of, well, in most cases or a lot of it depends. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big takeaway that I think most good scientists would want you to understand. Now, I think we try to bake it down and make it more black and white, or maybe just a couple shades of gray to understand, right? I think that's what a good, um, a good scientist can create that level of clarity to the complexity that is science in a lot of cases, but just be careful that these black and white, this causes cancer, this doesn't. Um, a lot of cases, those aren't true. And I think the if you ever uh, pursue like higher levels of a science degree, like a PhD or a master's, um, what you'll find is what you learned in high school. Well, that's kind of not true. There's a lot of assumptions that go into that. This is how it actually works. And then when you go into your master's program, you learn, you're sitting in your first class and like, okay, all that stuff you learned in undergrad. Yeah, that that's kind of how it works. But these are, there's a lot of assumptions that go into that. And this is what it really looks like. And then you get into your PhD, like really high level classes. And then your, your professors and your, the postdocs are like, well, that's what we tell the, the, the grad students, but we really think it works actually like this, but we're not hundred percent sure yet. We're still working on an experiment that will either prove or deny that. Um, and, and so the reason for that tangent, that story is, um, what you might be reading and everything is may not necessarily be the ultimate truth. And it may be, it's probably as simplified because not everyone has 20 years to study a certain field and become an expert in it. Right. Um, so just be careful, be careful with what you're reading. Uh, stay critical, uh, read lots of articles and, uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't base your whole life around what someone posts on Facebook because ultimately it's probably only partially true if, if that. So, well, in summary today, I hope we didn't get too far into the weeds with 
gigahertz and megahertz and spectrums and wavelengths and stuff. I hope you, know, you could follow it enough to you know enjoy and understand a little bit more about 5G. And I think there is you know great use cases for both 5G and Wi-Fi 6. I think they are definitely the way to the future. And as more devices are connected to the internet and the you know IoT just grows and grows and grows, I think this is the only way that we're going to be able to handle all that data. So I appreciate everyone you know listening to our deep dive into 5G and the excitement that it brings to the future. Rate us on your uh, favorite podcast listening platform. It really does help um, get the word out. If you have any suggestions uh, for future episodes or thoughts on any of the previous episodes, email us at forthefuturepod at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, thefuturepod at gmail.com. Would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, and if you have any ideas on how exactly to advertise a podcast, also let us know because that is something we're uh, we're learning how to do right now. Um, Reddit does not like self promotion. <laughs> no, <laughs> so kind of makes sense, but sucks at the same time. Kind of, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I guess they don't want that to turn into just like advertisers dropping yeah advertisements in the in those chats, but. Um, had some had some great uh, great responses from a couple of community members over there, and uh, then we were quickly banned um, <laughs> from the Reddit from the Reddit pages, which was kind of funny. I mean, it's probably not great, but um, yeah. So that was really exciting. After what first first episode, we had some yeah, like awesome up. responses, um, some great community engagement. There, we're like, oh, this is great. This is blowing up, and then. Uh, we were immediately shut down and banned <laughs> from like four different uh, Reddit subreddits. So kind of funny there. So anyway, yeah. just a, a side note. So yeah, well, thank you. Um, hope we're, hopefully this explanation was helpful. And uh, yeah, like Mark said, like, subscribe, whatever else. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you.